it is my pleasure to welcome back Spec as the presenting sponsor of Fraudology this quarter. Stay tuned for more information and updates on their product capabilities, or click the link in the episode description to request your personal demo of Spec's TrustCloud platform. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, I am here with Vineet Gurwal, and I feel so lucky because not only was she my guest a couple of weeks ago, uh, but when I was in San Francisco last week, I got to have dinner with her, and no surprise, we closed the restaurant down. Um, and we just had such a good conversation. I mean, not everything could be shared on the podcast, but we had such a good conversation that I asked her to come back to the podcast uh, so soon and help me answer a couple of questions that have come in from listeners uh, recently that I just, I know that she will be so good at, especially like in our uh, retailer group, uh, in the biweekly collaboration calls that I host. Vineet always has really good answers and help for her peers. So I think this will be a fun one. Vineet, thanks for joining me again. I feel so lucky we've talked so much with each other over the last few weeks. Yeah, I'm excited to be back. It's not too soon at all. So I, I'm excited and I'm just glad we get to have dinner. And yeah, we definitely did shut down the restaurant. We were there from opening to closing. So <laughs> <laughs> people who know me are probably not surprised. It was so good though. Uh, if anyone's in San Francisco, Baya is an amazing vegan Italian restaurant, which some people are like vegan, but it's oh so good. So many vegetables. I'm you know, I'm a vegetarian, so of course I liked it, but um I think even my, you know. My uh, carnivore or omnivore husband would like it too. I'm sure he would. <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably one of the best. It's like my go-to place in San Francisco. It's gorgeous too. But uh, unfortunately, now I'm getting hungry and that's not what we're uh, talking about today. But honestly, what we did talk about the entire time, I think, you know, for two and a half, three hours or uh, something like that, around three, was fraud. And I know that there's a lot of, you know, like I have other friends and you know, are friends in other parts of tech and they don't usually talk about their jobs or their career as much as we do, even if they get together with people that they work with, right? Like, you know, I've spent a lot of time with some of my husband's coworkers and they all work in technology, but they rarely ever talk about work. And that's the first thing we do. So that's just, you know, another thing that is different about fraud fighters. No, fraud fighters need to stick it together because I feel like no one else understands what we go through. Even if we work in tech, I feel like we're still a different subset. Um, mm. of, right. So I think only other fellow fraud fighters really understand what we go through on a day in and day out basis, especially with the holidays just around the corner. Mm. Oh my gosh. I know I've got to... I know I've, I've actually been thinking about needing to do a few uh, episodes about holiday prep soon. I'll probably be reaching out to some of the people in our group. You will also be on that list of just, you know, going on and doing a group conversation like, you know, a group of us did a month or two ago, you know, because there's a lot of people in our group that are so, you know, smart and talented, you know, just like you that can't get permission to speak on the record. So sometimes if we do it in a group, then, you know, they can have the opportunity to share some of their knowledge and advice uh, with the industry as well as people can learn from them. So, well, and I just think that there's so much magic that happens when fraud fighters get together, whether it's, I mean, in Zoom calls are great, right? Like I've known you for four-ish years through Zoom. And I'm like, I feel like I know you so well. And there's so many other people like that. But there's, it's just different when it's in real life. No, it makes a huge difference. And that's why I hope our, our group were eventually able to meet in person soon. But yeah, like you said, everyone knows so much, right? Because they all see different things. And they all are in different parts of their career. And they've all made it to where they are in fraud from different vectors, which they probably bought, like brought their knowledge and they're like utilizing it in fraud right so i think like that's what makes the beauty of all of us kind of getting together and just kind of saying like hey like this is what we're doing or there might be something that i'm seeing that another merchant's not seeing yet but they see it in like a month and they're like oh my that god it's a lot <laughs> yeah you know and like fraudsters share 
all their stories and all their success stories, like so should we. Like, why are we holding back? That has been one of my uh, mantras for a very long time. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm. It's no secret that I am, you know, big on collaboration and education. But it's because so much magic happens, and just like we were saying a few minutes ago, like we have so much camaraderie because we do understand so much of what the other person's going through, and we can have a shorthand, right? We don't have to like explain the backstory or anything like that. Um, it's just either because we're a small industry and a lot of us know each other, or we all interact with the same vendors and for whatever reason, I mean, they, they don't really change their spots from one interaction to another. So we, you know, know the good and the not so good. Uh, so there's a lot of like commiseration, but then you also bring up another good point is it's not, well, we've had the same experiences and we can, you know, really relate to those and go, oh my gosh, I had that happen or this or that, like on the human level. And there's just something so important about that. We also have you know, we all look at things differently. We all have different perspectives, uh, different business models, different, you know, a lot of times, especially in our retailer group, there will be a few people who you know, work for large electronics companies or large department stores or high-end luxury goods where they're seeing things before everyone else. And then people go, hey, remember that thing you mentioned like two months ago? I think we're seeing it now. Can you run that by me again? Um, and it's always so, I'm always in awe. And I mean, I know I do this too, but it's just so cool to see other people where we can still remember, you know, a very specific fraud vector or fraud MO from like two years ago, right? Like, you know, who their ISP was and who this and that and like all the different characteristics. You're especially good at that. Yeah, I have a few that still haunt me till this day. I'm like, there's still a few that haunt me till this day where I'm like, I will never forget these fraud attacks. Like they are going with me and I will probably share these over and over. But like the amount of like sweat and tears that went into battling some of these fraud attacks where I'm like, oh my God, yeah, they, they stick with you. They, you well, know, yeah. the fraudsters, they see like the, I feel like I think I mentioned this last time, but it's like they see like the, the rainbows, right? They get like the the money and the items are free and we deal with the repercussions of it. So when we have to deal with that storm, it's like, it's hard to forget like that you went through that. Right. And if you can save, you know, the other person, you know, someone else from having to go through the storm as significantly as you did, because you work at the tip of the spear, one of the first targets, like that's fulfilling in itself. And then there will be other things, you know, maybe lower level or whatever that they'll see too, or they'll have, you know, more exposure in gift cards or more experience, you know, somewhere else that maybe you didn't really, you know, deal with in one job, but you do now, or it's just, it's so magic. And that is something that, I mean, you know this already, but I, that's something that I've known for a long time that there's a need for more opportunities for merchants to get together in safe places. Sorry, guys, like on the vendor side, too many bad apples, as they say, have, you know, spoiled the whole bunch. And it doesn't mean that, you know, some aren't invited, you know, specifically to some things, but we just, it has to be that way. Um, but that there's such a need for it. And I have tried to ignore it for a while being like, well, there's other groups, there's other things, there's other whatever. But like in the last year and a half or so, I really realized that is something that, you know, fraudology has been providing to people kind of unintentionally of, I think that's what I hear most from people is, wow, I, I feel like I'm not alone. Or, you know, I didn't realize I thought I was the only person that dealt with that or that thought like that. In addition to like sharing specific concepts and strategies and things like that. And so, um, yeah, building off of that is something I'm excited to do in the next, you know, several months. And I'll leave you know that there. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for that because yeah, there, there's not a lot of places that merchants could get together, and there probably wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to talk to a lot of or know a lot of merchants outside um, of the groups that you created. Like if it wasn't for our group and other things, because besides going to conferences, and some of us, some of us aren't able to go to conferences, like you know, for whatever reason, um, we get to like we miss out on the chance for collaboration, right? So I think anything that kind of helps bring everyone together is super useful. And with remote work or hybrid, whatever people want to call it now, um, everyone's all over the place, right? During COVID, people moved to other parts of the country or, or the world. And so you're not able to meet them. But you know, Zoom does help. It does. It's better than nothing. Um, and I absolutely adore our retailer group. And you know, other people from it have been on in the past. I mean, those that can, um, you know, Alan Buck, you know, before he left Bed Bath and Beyond was on the podcast, Diana Gajic Physic, obviously, before she left uh, Finish Line and JD Sports North America, had a few others as well. And uh, 
it's magic. I just want to offer that to more people and have it be a little bit more official and structured. So there's a, yeah, I'm excited. I'm ner- I'm nerve sighted as my daughter would say, because uh, there's like some weird imposter syndrome stuff going on too, where that's what's held me back for a long time. But um, if not me, then who? So <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be amazing because Aww. everything that you do is for the merchants and the merchants definitely, what's the right word? I guess like trust. They, tr- they, we trust you you know as a merchant myself like I know whatever we ask you or whatever we kind of tell you about is kind of gonna like stay with you and like even your opinions about like hey what's going on like do you think I'm looking at it wrong right um mm-hmm. I know I'm a little bit um your favorite verbiage um on on it when we had dinner where I was like oh am I looking at this wrong or am I missing something you know and and mm-hmm. as people come into fraud like they need to have like a safe space you know I think that's also huge yeah well thank you for saying that I didn't pay her when we were out to dinner <laughs> to say that at all but I know what it was like you know for me a long time ago to be the only person in my company who thought like I did who cared what, about what I did who worked as hard as I did. And when I got to go to my first conference, it was a game changer for me. And like you said, not everyone can. I mean, honestly, there's probably more merchants that don't than than can. And I always try to include them in things. Um, but I know that there's a need for, you know, a little out of the box thinking as far as ways to get together. And uh, it's something I've kind of done here and there. But it's because of people like you and people in our group that make me just, it's so fulfilling. And, you know, I, I love it. And I, it is such an incredible and rare honor that I am the only person who doesn't work for a merchant, at least as far as I know, that gets to be in the room and on the, you know, group chats and group texts and told a lot of secrets. And I take it so seriously because it is, I mean, A, you guys need to get it out, but B, it really helps me be able to help, you know, the clients and companies I work with to be able to say, oh, yeah, I know somebody that's seen this or anything else. So, yeah, well, now I just had a little warm and fuzzy moment. We'll switch over and talk about, you know, our other favorite subject, which is, you know, obviously fraud and fraud strategy. So you mentioned uh, that there have been some, you know, fraud MOs and fraud attacks that you still remember or, you know, that kept you up at night back then, you know, trying to figure out the why. And I think I know that that's something you and I and and several other people in our group and several people in our industry love doing is like, what's the motivation? How are they doing it? Let's figure out all the things so that we can catch them. But also because we just want to understand, right? We want to solve that problem and that really complex puzzle sometimes. And hopefully you have enough data to be able to solve the puzzle. And what, you know, if you could give an example, you know, understanding that, you know, we are, it is a public platform, so you can't be, you know, as open as we usually are when it's not. But what's, you know, what's an example of a fraud attack that just really will stand out to you probably for the rest of your life as something that either was memorable or a huge challenge to identify or stop? Yeah, I could think of two. But the first one I'll start off with, which I think a lot of merchants dealt with, which was when COVID started and continued was refund fraud. Um, I remember refund fraud kind of, it was like a new term. And I remember when we were on those calls and I was like, huh, like, I wonder if this is something that we would have a problem with. But that was a huge thing because I would look at them like our approval rates look good. Our chargebacks are like, you know, where they're supposed to be. They're really good. But they're still like, you know, our refund numbers just kept going up. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this doesn't make any sense. Like you would think that they would do chargebacks if it was fraud and not a refund. So as we yeah. started going into this, I was like, hmm, you know, like it kind of got my wheels turning of like, what's going on? And that's when I started, you know, do going, you know, diving into the data and was like, are there certain products that they're going after? Is it a certain geolocation? Mm. Um, like what's going on? And that's when I realized that they were going after a certain threshold because, you know, we had company policy at that time of what it was of like, if you refunded after this, like under this amount that you would be able to keep the item, and we would give you the money back. And for the type of company that it was like, they were banking on that they were they were getting really good items for for what it was. Well, and companies like Amazon and, and Walmart and others have done that because 
And there's been a few public articles about it where even if it's, you know, legitimate returns, right? Like there's, it's such a cost to the business, but they have to have those return policies. Sometimes the returns don't even go to their warehouse, right? It goes to a liquidator and, you know, all of that. And then people who like bargains like I do, you know, usually end up finding it hopefully, but, um, you know, it, it costs the company so much money. And so sometimes it is a good business decision to just say, hey, anything under X amount, we're just going to, you know, out of a courtesy, give the money back and, you know, let the customer keep the item. The problem comes when uh, people do that for their own gain and they and they test the system and they find out exactly what the limit is or exactly what those items are. And then usually, you know, as you mentioned, like they don't keep it to themselves, right? Like they love bragging to their friends or in chats or, you know, in text groups or you know, on the encrypted messaging platforms or, you know, some are still on the dark web, but most of the dark web is now just like these stores that pop up and do ads. Like it's all moved to Telegram and Discord. So then what happened as far as like figuring that part out or what could be done with changing a whole policy? Because then, you know, if you don't, right, then you guys are accepting back $5 items and you're probably paying more for shipping on the way back than you are the items worth. So it's a tough situation. Yeah. And the items that they were going after were like our high selling items that the company really spent like advertising on. And it was a huge thing, right? These are the items that people wanted. We could resale too, right? Which we know that a lot of refunders are all about the resale. Yep. And that's where my mind exactly. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if I should go check like on like Craigslist or eBay or I think it was like offer up. So I, you know, dad did all this and I saw that there were certain people that were going on there that were selling it. So and they had like all different types of these items. And I was like, hmm, you know, and then they were pretty good about like not keeping their name the same of whatever their username, but some of them I was able to, and I'd be like, I would be able to connect back and be like, aha, so you're basically getting these items for free and then selling them for like half the price of what the company was selling them for. So now and we're not able to give a guarantee, right? So when people buy it, like we can't give you a guarantee if we don't see that you're in our system and that becomes a whole ordeal, right? So that's a whole different thing that you have to look into. But that's where I kind of realized, so brought the numbers over. I'm like, hey, our refund rates have gone up by X amount, you know, over quarter, over quarter. This is how much we're losing, plus the shipping. We're losing on the product as well as like paying back the money. So we're losing on like both ends. And so when I was able to do that and kind of prove my point, you know, we brought in all, all the teams that at that time I was already having like month or weekly meetings with everyone in different organizations or different teams. In and I kind of showed him my findings and we were able to like work through it with like legal and other other teams and work with CS. We were working on bringing that refund amount down to prevent like that gaming. So if we were able to bring mm -hmm. it down a little bit, a lot of like the higher end products that these people were getting to resell, they weren't able to get like get it ended up being the amount of things that they could buy down to like a very small amount. So it just wasn't worth gaming because it. it these things were just not something that people would want to get. But that was something when I remember when we started discussing and I was like, hmm, like, you know, but again, it's kind of got my, it, that's when it kind of goes to, like you said, right? Like our brains are just the same place. Like, are they reselling it? And that's what yeah. they these type of product for themselves, right? So, well, and I think the kicker is with refund fraud is they don't need a, a credit card, right? Like they don't need to steal a credit card. They don't have to, you know, really... It's also seen as a gray area in a lot of ways, right? Especially at the beginning where, oh, I'll just say that it didn't arrive or, you know, something like that. And, oh, look, I have an extra one. I'll sell it online. And lots of people were selling things online, especially during COVID. Like when I did the public speaking uh, engagement the other day, one of the audience members came up and was asking me questions afterwards. And he said that he was a teacher at the time and now he works for a tech startup in the IT department for a fraud vendor. And he said that he and his wife just like started selling items on, you know, some of the specialty or more focused uh, marketplaces. And we, you know, both know people that work at those. And he said that they, you know, made a couple thousand dollars because they were both not working, but they you know, had money coming in and they just, it was fun for them because they didn't have anything to do. And I know that a lot of those companies that you know, have resell and, you know, buyers and sellers on the resale market, they exploded during that time. But also they, they know that a lot of them, you know, are probably fraudulent as well. And that's a tough thing for them to balance because it's not impacting them, but that's another story. Um, some of them are better than others about uh, taking them down. And I'm 
proud that I was able to help a large group of merchants be able to connect with one of them uh, to share when that happens. Um, I think that's been successful since last year with like the master manipulators and that whole madness, which I'm, even though they haven't been around lately, I am convinced they're going to come back in November. Yeah. Cause we didn't do enough to stop them. And yeah. And, and unfortunately almost all of the fraud systems are you know, they're exploiting a very key feature in it, right? That they have consortiums that are based on, you know, everything being exact. And if, you know, something isn't exact and they add an extra letter in the address, well, then it becomes a different address in the system. Uh, Thankfully, there's at least two core fraud solutions that I know that we're able to identify them, but there's a lot that aren't. And that is really stresses me out. But going back to the uh, refund piece, when you, you know, I really wanted to hone in on the fact that you put together the data, right? You told a story with the data, which is something that Gil Rosenthal talked about in last week's episode that I just thought was so good. He created a training around it Um, all the way from manual review, all the way to like when you're talking to people, you know, to leadership, right? Of how do you use the store, the data and uh, when I go through, you know, assessments for some of my clients and I'm working on one now, uh, I try to add anything I can, right? To say, and no, I mean, within reason, right? I'm not like making anything up, but I'm just like, hey, you're not just losing the cost of the item, right? You're losing your customer acquisition costs, right? Your marketing team paid money to get a new customer in ads, like you said, and, you know, on social media or anywhere else, or they provided promo codes for, you know, first time customers, things like that, that adds up. And that's a metric that, Every senior leadership, every C-suite, every, you know, senior director or VP knows very well, right? Uh, That's a huge top line cost in your business. So when you're saying, hey, like you spent that money advertising to people who just ended up stealing from you, or you have (laughs) the other one is you advertise to those, those people who we just ended up canceling because we thought that they were stealing from us, but they weren't like, that's also a thing, right? But adding up as well as shipping costs, like you said, right? And, um, saying, hey, this is actually how much this is costing us. Because if you just went in and said, hey, there's a lot of people that are asking for refunds on things for bo- for bogus reasons. Okay, thanks for letting me know. Right, But you come in and you say, hey, this is how it's growing month over month. This is what we're losing. And also now we're competing with ourselves on these, you know, second, third hand marketplaces for lower than cost, which, you know, is what happens with credit card fraud too. But refund fraud opened the floodgates for that. And they, you know, almost always would go for the things that are resellable. So um, that's, yeah, I think those are really good points I just wanted to kind of hone in on, right? Um, And then, you know, when you're telling either if you have anything to add, you know, on that part, as far as you know, using data to tell the story and and how that was impactful. But also you said that, you know, you changed the limits on the items so that it wouldn't be, you know, or changed the, the ability for refunds to happen or, you know, even to purchase those kind of things. Was that a tough battle to have? Or because you had all the data, it, it was indisputable? Like which one, you know, because I think the fear of fraud fighters is like, well, they're just going to tell me that it's going to interfere, or it's going to give friction, or it's going to, you know, cause problems. Or what about all the good customers that want these items, even if there aren't that many? Yeah, I think because I had gone through this in some of my previous positions that I was at different companies, I kind of knew mm-hmm. what data to come in with. So, you know, I, like you said, you have to tell a story, you have to bring in examples. So I love bringing in at least five examples that are different in variation, um, right? They're not all all following like the same thing or different geos or different products or whatever works for you. So then you could kind of show them like the flow from the beginning to the end. Because when you start talking to senior leaderships and executives, they only see like, holistically what's going on right they see final mm-hmm. they don't see the drill down that we see right like we get into the mm-hmm. nitty-gritty they don't have the time to get into the nitty-gritty like we do so that's when it's your time to kind of shine and show them what these numbers are that you look at right like you said shipping how much like how much does the item cost to make even like mm. your vendors profit for margins. each yeah like the profit margins and like you have to also like the vendors that you charge, right? Some of them may just be transactional. Mm. So you have to pay them. And then with your issuers, you pay them, right? So there's all these fees that you, if it's on a large enough scale, even though if those fees are small, like those are going to add up. And those are something you should be telling your senior senior leadership. So down the line, you need to change one of them 
you're able to say, hey, like, remember when we had to do this because they charge X amount of fee, like, we could actually lower this if this ends up happening to us again, right? So I would say, like, always come with examples, bring in a story. And again, like, it shouldn't be more than like, five, 10 minutes, it should be a nice, sweet, like little package with a bow on it, where you're able to kind of get to your point, because you know, you're not going to have that much time with senior leadership. It's usually like a 15 minute a max a 30 minute call within that there's questions that they want to ask and everything. So have the numbers ready, a nice chart where they're able to go into a flow, have examples for them. And I think that's why it wasn't that hard. I, I mean, I know we have to, I think I went through maybe four or five different meetings. But at the end, it wasn't really like a like a large push they were just like yeah we should do this like they were on board with it but again it's because I had all that information for them if I came with it with like examples and no data they'd be like what are you showing us you know Fraudology is now brought to you by sardine so what is sardine I mean other than a small oily fish in the herring family. Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other people business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So if you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. And I'm glad that you you know talk about bringing in several different examples because a mistake that I made when I started to present to senior leadership, which I was so early in my career, and I know I made lots of mistakes, and one of them was that I went with anecdotal information because it was hard for us to get data, but also because I knew how big of a problem it was, right? So I didn't think I had to like explain to them the size of it and the scope of it because I don't know, I just assumed they knew or that they would trust me. Um, And so I would go in and I would say, well, we're having a lot of fraud. Well, what would it look like? And I'd give one big example. Well, then I would hear executives like at other meetings or whatever, like thinking that that was the only way that people stole from us, right? Or that that happens all the time. And I might've picked like one that was kind of sensational just to get their attention. Right. And so showing five different ones, it's like, look, they're hitting us five different ways, but they're doing the same things. And um, I know for me, just specific to refund fraud, and I've said this before, but I lucked out so much with you know working with you guys at the very beginning. I mean, it's great. Diana and I told the story like a couple months ago of how it happened, but like we had a meeting before I even understood that it was fraud, right? Like I just was like, okay, I've had enough people tell me that their INRs are increasing. I might as well, you know, get them on the call and see what happens. It wasn't even for myself, right? Just like, here yeah, I know a bunch of people that probably have similar issues here. And then to realize it was fraud and go down that path, right? And read all of the manuals from the fraudsters and figure all that out. And then there are a few like very specific moments for me that were fun because I knew, you know, what things some of you would put in place to try to prevent it or try to detect it. And then I would see how those fraudsters would adapt to it, right? And how they'd they'd work around it or how they'd be like, oh man, we can't hit them anymore. Um, Unfortunately, with some alternative payment methods, there are still some loopholes. 
and they know those well, but that was such a good opportunity for me. And sometimes I forget that so many, I mean, this sounds so bad, but I kind of forget that so many companies are still having this problem because A, a lot of the companies in our group have, you know, found solutions, but B, I was talking about it so much at the very beginning. Like that summer of 2020, I felt like I was on like the Zoom circuit, right? Like any conference, any anything, because I just want to get the word out there. Like we've never thought of this as fraud before, but it is fraud because it's intentional, because it's organized. It's organized crime and fraud. And, you know, and also there were, you know, some solution providers and some merchants that were trying to address refund fraud and trying to stop it the same way that we stop and identify payment fraud. And that just wasn't it wasn't working. And so I wanted to also say like, hey, don't even waste your time with that. Like here's, you know, some things you can do. And then ultimately Diana and I, you know, were well, you know, uh, Diana and I kind of came up with this idea for a product and now it's uh you know in production which that will be on a future episode soon but um so I'm certainly not trying to make it a plug it was just it's kind of full circle for me too right like I get to see it from a different perspective but there's still a lot of trend analysis yeah and like fraud's not all about how it used to be which was just stolen credit cards right a lot of it's just abuse now right like they know like why have to go through the hassle of stealing credit cards when we could just do refund fraud or referral abuse or promo abuse right like they know that they know that we'll often catch them if it's payment fraud right i mean again you and i can say this till we're blue in the face and i feel like there will still be a lot of people that won't listen but the difference between some fraud solutions and others are so incredibly vast it's mind-blowing to me the millions like the tens of millions of dollars that i have identified or helped my clients you know either save or you know increase their top line because of you know false positives and i know you've had similar experiences you know where you've worked too like it's crazy but so you know one is the solution but then two it's you're absolutely right that like overall i think we have made it harder it means we've done a good job collectively to make it not worth their while to steal credit cards or even account credentials right i mean we still have ato but five, six years ago, that was, you know, the hot thing. And there are obviously some companies that, you know, still get hit with it because they haven't addressed it and haven't found the right solution or, you know, the mix of solution and, and process and all that. I think like the type of solutions that you have in place, again, you can't just have solutions in place at the transaction level. They need to be across the funnel, right? And I think that's when either companies that are starting off or companies that have such a complicated funnel find a hard time to maybe plug new integrations in. But with the way how fraud is growing and people are so tech savvy that you need to have checks at different parts of your funnel. You can't just say, hey, at the transaction level is where we are going to like check for fraud and we're not going to do it at all for the rest of them. Like you can't do that anymore. Right, right. Well, um, I had uh, Matt and Sid from Novo, it's like a neobank on the podcast right before COVID. It was such a popular episode, actually, both of them. And they were talking about landmines and tripwires and Matt brought up a good point where really, you know, for so long, we've just been looking at the transaction. It's almost like we're taking a picture like somebody's going in to steal our house or like you know rob our house when we're not there and we're taking a picture of them when they get in the door like when they're logging in and then when they're walking out that's it right we don't know where in the house they went we don't know what they did we don't know like same with loss prevention right like if somebody you just take one like still picture of what happens when they first walk in the store and then you take another right when they come out okay well you might see their stuff in their pockets but you don't know where to look or what they did or to prove it or you know stop it or anything. And they were talking about, you know, how important it is to be able to view your, you know, entire customer journey. And I've certainly, I did not mean for this to happen, but it is a really good plug for spec because that's what they do is, you know, allow at the time of session, right? So anytime a company comes in or a person comes in on the an online company's website, they're allowing you to see everything they do for the minute they enter the website, right? With, are they switching up their, are they, you know, using a different proxy right before they place a credit card transaction? Are they, you know, maybe they're in one country. It looks like they're in one country when they're looking around and stuff, but then they're like, okay, this is game face on about to get my picture taken. I'm going to have it look all the same. Or, you know, there's various things that that they've found recently that is just mind boggling of what they've been able to identify. They've been able to identify resellers and been able to identify loyalty fraud and all kinds of stuff just by watching that front end. It's like having video cameras all over your, you know, your house or your store. And, you know, if that's not possible, then, you know, the next best thing is to have 
checks at various parts of the funnel, right? When they log in or you know different parts, because you're absolutely right. If only one area is covered, they're going to find another door or window, right? Like that's their job. They're pretty darn good at it. Yeah. Doing transaction level reviews, I think is important. But like, like you said, session level is that's where you're going to find like these nuances, right? That's where you're going to see them. They're going to log in from where they're supposed to log in. But while they're browsing or adding things, it, you know, their IP might show where they're actually from. But if you're only looking at the transaction level and not go down to the session, you're not going to be able to see all that, right? You're not going to be able to see them changing devices, IP, trying all these different credit cards before they check Oh, yeah, there's a couple of them too that like know exactly which fraud providers are looking um, are taking just Java. And I don't know tech enough to know, but I know that there's there's Java hooks. And I don't anyways, there's there's a couple of providers that are using technology from like 10, 15 years ago. And so my understanding, and I'll have to have, I'll have to ask Nate when he comes on soon. Um, Nate Carl, the co-founder, one of the co-founders, because he can explain it so much better than I can. But it's almost like they're putting on an invisibility cloak before they go through the transaction where the vendor isn't able to pull any of that data. And so they're just like, okay, looks good because we don't see anything suspicious. Uh, There's others, you know, I've seen these like posts a bunch of times. I usually make fun of them. But, you know, if you open up, the company's uh, website and you leave it the tab open for an hour and then you refresh, right? It makes you look like you've been there longer. And so you're a trusted person. You can tech, you know, you can, uh, or the, I mean, I kind of joke like, okay, and you stand on your head and you put your finger on your nose and then it's a full moon, like, because there's actually like a lot of other like steps, but they do so many trial and error. They figure it out, right? Like, oh, it looks like I've been on here a long time because some companies, if they don't view the customer journey, they at least see, well, how long have you been on the website, right? Did you look at stuff and then did you come back? Um, the other thing that you can see with se- with the session data is like, did they poke around and like look at things? You know, did they window shop? Did they look for sale items? You know, like like a normal shopper, or did they just go straight for that high dollar item and go straight for it? You know, maybe they knew right away what they wanted, but how? But if there's other risk factors combined, then that's important information. And I think I just want to highlight the other thing you said that's so true that while transaction fraud will always kind of be our our bread and butter or you know our, our main focus for a lot of reasons. I mean, the liability shift and everything else. And I don't think it's going away, but there's just so many other ways to steal from online companies now uh, because of COVID and because of, you know, a lot of people realizing that, you know, online fraud can be done without any consequences. All those people that were doing PVP fraud and all that stuff. Right. And I think, um, you know, knowing that and knowing that you have to really look at every angle and be aware and pull the data on those things and that data is going to tell the story. And if you don't have access to that data, if you can't pull good reports, then you need to, you know, work internally or externally with your vendors to say, this is what I need because the data is going to be what tells the story. And the fact that you are able to you know, really make the case within just a few meetings of changing something pretty rapid is really impressive. And I think it speaks to how much credibility you've built within the company of Vanita does her homework. She tells us, okay, this is how much, this is the full picture. You know, they feel like, okay, well, she's told us stuff like this before and she's been right and saved us so much money. So now, okay, what, you know, not whatever you say, but like makes sense. And you're using the right data to tell the story, being respectful of their time, putting together a graph and, I used to say the higher up the position, the more like pretty and simple the graph has to be. <laughs> it does. It's, it's funny you say that because I remember when I first started working, it wasn't in fraud, but I was doing like company-wide training or site-wide training. And I was like, this is so simple. Like, why aren't people getting it? And I remember one of my friends, she was like, pictures. Think of it as explaining it to like a kindergartner. And since then, at all those trainings after that, once I started showing them like pictures of like, this is kind of how it would happen in the process. It was like light bulbs I would see in the room where people would be like, oh, like this is what this means, right? And I'm like, wow, like I was speaking a whole different language before when I just had like a graph or bullet points or something, right? Like, but now, so every single time since that, that was like one learning and I'm glad I got to learn that like early on. And now I'm just like, the simpler, the better. Like it is the best way to go like it's why complicate something the higher you get again they have so many other things like we are just focused on risk and fraud they are focused 
on multiple other things. Well, in the full picture, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think that's something that we, a lot of us in a fraud, you know, one of the reasons why we love to like connect with people and stuff is we love the details. That's the best part. I mean, whenever someone says, hey, I have this, you know, situation, whatever, it's like everyone asks 100 questions before we give, you know, because, well, is it this or that or that or that or, you know, all these things because the details are what matter. That's why, you know, detailed data matters. The details are what makes the difference between someone who is intentionally trying to steal from your company and someone who is just tech savvy and privacy focused and doesn't want to give out all their information or whatever else, you know, the other, the situations are, or someone who, you know, might stack a couple promo codes or might return things. Um, but they always, you know, return them in good condition and they don't ask for a refund claim, right? That's a big difference. So we care about the details so much, but we have to remember that not everyone else does. And that's something that I, I still struggle with sometimes because I have a hard time being able to decipher what matters because to me, everything matters. So, you know, sometimes when I'm put on the spot by an executive that knows nothing about fraud, I just want to go all into the the why and the this and, the, and I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. You just need to know like the high level. Um, and I think that, you know, when you're able to communicate in their way and to do high level, and I would say, you know, especially when talking with executives, you know, usually, at least for me, I'm using graphs and uh, process flows, right? Like a lot of process flows. I've been putting together a deck for the last, you know, week or two for a merchant, uh, for an executive team meeting that's happening soon. And, you know, this is the process flow, you know, after, like after the credit card gets approved, because they're post auth uh, right now, you know, but then here are my proposals, right? We're going to change this, we're going to change that. Or, you know, here are your numbers, right? And if you do this, this will probably be the difference or, you know, that kind of thing. I'm assuming that that's kind of what you meant by pictures rather than like memes or things like that. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely what I mean. I think like some of like other things I would bring up is like a quick backstory. I love having like a quick backstory of like, this is when we notice this happening. Why is this a problem? You know, and then that story could include like your approvals, declines, chargebacks, all your information. So it's in like a nice little right. package top. And then bring your historical data, you know, be like previous to this, this is what, you know, mm. our baseline is, right? For them, because then they're going to ask this. So like, what was different? How do we know this is a problem? Mm. Numbers change. Come with both, come with percentages, right? And I like, I can't emphasize that even more because you don't want to be sitting there in a meeting, like trying to do like the percentage calculations, like come with both of them and like come. And then the final thing I would definitely bring up is action items like when you're gonna come like what are the action items so in case of like the refund fraud that's what I brought up like okay so the action items for this is that we need to change our policy and then we need to make sure that we're okay with it legally and then we need to like communicate this to all customers and have a date and like these are our action items and whatever you know whatever other instance that you are making any changes or you are trying to get approval from a senior leadership, you come with them because at the end, they're going to be like, okay, so we talked about this for 25 minutes. What do you need from us? Right. It wasn't yep. just FYI because it's FYI. Could it just been oh a my gosh. I'm so glad you said it. <laughs> you know? Right. What do you need our sign off on? Like, right. You, you know, and I'm so glad you mentioned that those are like really good steps. And especially because sometimes it's like, okay, well, I showed you the problem. You guys can figure out how to fix it or like, I don't know how to fix it. Well, maybe you should, you know, ask your peers or figure it out. Um, because they're not, they're going to expect you to provide options. I usually recommend to have at least two suggestions. That way it's not just, um, you know, and I know you've done that many times when, in other things, like in this case, it was kind of clear what, you know, what needed to be done. Um, but the data will tell you what else needs to be done, right? And I do believe that there's more than one way to do things, and especially as a consultant, at least like if I go in and say, okay, this is the only way to do it. Okay. You know, I mean, some companies would do it, but then, but what's it going to cost? What's the implementation you know, lift? What are the fees? What are the, all the things? So like, you know, figuring that out ahead of time, coming to them with that, that not only helps you get the answers or the help or the change, you know, the resources or whatever you need to fix that problem or at least address it and change things. It also helps build that credibility, right? Because the next time you go to them, it's like, oh yeah, because I think there's one, I'm guessing that there's one other piece, right? Like once you've implemented those things, do you go back and share with them, you know, the success or, you know, whether it's in person or an email, right? So, hey, if you'll remember this, these were our, you know, refund claim rates, this was how much we were losing, this was all the things. Now, two, three months later, here's where we're at. Like, thanks so much for the sign on or sign off. 
yeah, I think especially if you're gonna make such a large like change like a policy, you definitely need that feedback loop, right? So they need to know that this feedback loop, even if it was bad, like that's something they still need to know, right? Like, oh, yeah, there was like, you know, don't try to hide the bad and the good, like you need to show them both. Because like, then again, it's credibility, they're not going to trust you in the future, if that's what you do. But a lot of times when you come, you don't show them chances are another team had to hit the impact, like customer service calls are way up, because you know, we thought this would work and actually it's backfired or you know the warehouse is having problems or whatever so somebody else is gonna bring it up like you really can't just like sweep fraud under the rug so you're absolutely right and i think it's you know falling sort of going hey this is what you know we thought that it would work it didn't here's what i think went, you know here's what happened instead right here's how they reacted and adjusted and then you know coming with another solution because i there was a merchant I learned a lot from this merchant who's not even in fraud anymore because he's just too smart. But um, I mean, not not that you don't need to be. I just mean he is. Um, he had a security background, and so he went. You know, uh, and I wish I could say who he works for and what he does because it would explain why I said that. Um, but uh, <laughs> there was this you know merchant that I've learned a lot from. In fact, he is. Uh, the person who actually came up with the fraud zombie and dragon analogy first um, and several other things. And he actually lived in the Seattle area for a long time. So he and his wife and uh, one of his coworkers and his partner at the time would come over for date night and stuff. So like just really loved these guys. But one time he told me that a problem without a solution is just an assumption. And I, I remember that a lot. Like whenever I'm presenting to groups or whenever I'm talking to clients or other things, right? Like if I just provide a a problem, it's like, okay, well, I'm just assuming it's a problem. Like, but there's no, it's just not enough, right? Like you need to, and maybe, you know, your leadership will go, is that the only way? Or like, uh, you know, what if we, what if we did that? Is that going to kill conversion? Well, you know, I've already thought about that or I don't know, but maybe we could test it. Right. Or, you know, I'm going to go back and get more information. Or they might say, well, have you thought about this? And it might be the stupidest thing you've ever heard. But it's like, well, you know, I think, and, and a lot of times, you know, you and I have said this before, uh, you know, not on the podcast, but just like, you know, how oftentimes people that are not in fraud think that they're being really helpful when they're like, well, how, why can't you just do this? And it's like, oh, why didn't I think about that? Uh, I thought about that. Like, you know, all of us have wanted that for That's 20 years. That's the first years. thing I thought about. Right, exactly. <laughs> That would make sense. And the credit card system online doesn't make sense. Like, you know, like, I don't know, I mean, cardholder name, like, hmm, you know, maybe that would be important. Um, But, you know, it's, that's also why we love it, right? It's the challenge. It's the thrill of the hunt. It's the thrill of trying to like figure out what they're doing and what their motivation is. And then how do we stop it? Yeah, I think it's like what everyone says, right? But it's just, that it's the problem solving. It's the never ending chase. And it's it's always going to be And what it reminds me of is like, my brother loved watching it. And I don't know why it was like Tom and Jerry. It's caught it's Tom and Jerry, but in real life on replay. <laughs> right? Like that's what is literally happening between us and the fraudsters. Like there's no conversation happening between us. But there's a constant chase. And that's what's happening. But I think that's what keeps it entertaining. Because it's like, sure, you're gonna go to sleep and get whatever. In my case, I get, you know, the five, six hours I do. And then I open up and I'm like, Oh, my God, it was five, six hours, you decided to do all this, like, right, give me a break. Like, you know? I even sleep like, yeah. yeah, but I think that's what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. Fun and also rewarding, right? Because even though it can be frustrating, because it is never ending, when you look back and you think like, wow, how much has happened here since I've been here, right? Like how many uh, big changes and how much impact have I had by, you know, doing this right by identifying and and looking at it and then putting together the story with the data and explaining it to the people that need to sign off and then implementing it and then going, wow, okay. Like, I think that that's so important for all of us to do. I don't do it enough, but I try to make myself, I used to call it um, thinking backwards. I don't know, but I do it in my personal life too, where I'd be like, I'm so frustrated that I'm not where I want to be. And I'm like, but wait, like, if I think about where I started, I probably started way behind a lot of people my age. So like, I had to just get to the starting line first, or like, wow, look, all the things I've done, you know, in a fairly short amount of time, I can't imagine where I'll do in that amount of time next time. And I think it's important for us to celebrate those wins. But uh, it's so funny that you brought up Tom and Jerry, because actually, the very and I haven't thought about this in so long. 
the very first presentation at a Merchant Rest Council uh, conference that I attended was the first one. So 2009, uh, the first one that I remember, I, there might've been others, was a guy from Apple. And I just remember thinking, wow, there's someone from Apple speaking and <laughs> they can't do that anymore, but they could then. And this guy was so smart. I, uh, when I interviewed Monica Sharp, like a couple of years ago, who was on that team at Apple that created all their internal fraud, uh, well, their big internal fraud tool that, you know, has a name internally. And, uh, you know, I don't think I can say, but, um, you know, they're, they track everything. It's pretty amazing what they have. Uh, he was really, this guy was the architect of it and just brilliant. And the way he started his presentation was completely and totally comparing online payment fraud to Tom and Jerry. Oh, that's so, so funny. I know. I know. I was like, I mean, I knew we all say cat and mouse game, but Tom and Jerry is perfect because you're right. They're not communicating with each other. They're not, it's not like law enforcement or, you know. Yeah. I never understood how my brother watched it for a full hour and there was no talking. It was them just chasing each other. I'm like, what is this? You know, but I don't understand it. I know. And so it's funny that like, you know, you went into this and not him. Right. But yeah, it's also kind of like uh, the coyote and the roadrunner too. Right. It's similar, like those chases and, you know, always, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you, but it never stops. No, it's, yeah, it's a never ending loophole, but I, like I said, I think that's what makes fraud so amazing. And I think like when you really get into fraud and you really love it, like it's not just about looking like at the risk and the fraud that you see, but it's looking at it holistically, like within your company, right? Because realistically, like risk has to look at, like we said, the entire funnel, right? We have to see the people that are coming in and the drop offs where it happens. If you put too much friction, that is risk's fault. You know, if there's a fallout that happens a lot at pre auth or post auth, that is risk fault, right? So at the end of the day, like you have to look at it holistically and I think that's what also keeps it pretty entertaining is because you don't get bored because it's not like you're just looking at one thing yeah. you're looking at the entire funnel so one day I might just be focused on just chargebacks and the next morning I might come and be like oh my god I need to go look at pre-auth what was I trying to do in pre-auth and then you're in a whole different spectrum of what you were working at so I think that's what makes being in risk so much fun is because it's a fraudsters don't give you a break and b because it's it you have to work on the entire flow and like that's and you need to know it like right like when you go into these senior leadership meetings they're going to ask you well what happens at this point at that point mm -hmm. and that's where you know this and i think that's the one thing is that's where the flow charts come in right i mean i still mm -hmm. reference a lot of flow charts we have you know till this day where i'm like hold on where is this again like you know right especially when you get the complex systems with like multiple risk systems and multiple layers in a risk stack and multiple psps and different countries have different like we talked about on the last episode like you know different countries have different buying patterns and different you know holidays and different things and so yeah i think we all need those you know process flows and, and charts i a hundred percent. Um, that is something that's different about fraud fighters is we have to know the entire process from the minute somebody goes onto the website until, you know, even the chargeback process, right? Which could be 30, 60, 90 days. And I've had a few conversations with people lately that have said, you know, there's other departments where you just kind of have to know one part, right? Like if you're in marketing or, you know, business development or sales, like you're just looking at until checkout, right? Or if you're, you know, in user design or user experience, right? You're looking at how they're interfacing with the website. That's it. Like just that part. And so that's fun for us to learn all those things, but it's also a lot to learn. So whenever we start a new job, it's like drinking from the fire hose, but you also, and I mean, it's such an overused phrase, but it's like true, but you also get better at it every time you start, right? Because you've learned so many lessons of like what you want, you know, what's important to know and how many questions to ask and what questions to ask. And, uh, you know, whether it's in the interview process or when you start, but just understanding that flow right away. Like, I think that's the baseline for anyone who's done it once or twice. It's like, okay, I need to see that process flow right now. But another thing is, is that it actually makes you super valuable to the company. Like there's been a few people lately who have been offered, you know, positions from other parts of their company because they know that part so well. And for people who are true fraud fighters, though, like we joke about this all the time, like we know that more or less we could make more money if we were in another part of the business that was a little more top line focused or, you know, had more resources and all of that. But it's, it's just not as rewarding and it's not as much fun and it isn't interwoven uh, within like the tapestry of our personalities and how our brain works and 
you know, isn't a part of us, right? It would just be a job. And I think that, you know, through fraud fighters, it's always, I mean, usually it's a close second, but the first reason why we're in fraud is because we love it. The second reason is because we need to feed our families and then provide, you know, lives for ourselves. It's usually a very second follow-up, but um, my hope is, you know, with the start of doing salaries in the fraudology benchmarking survey that we have started the conversation and, you know, that we can keep going with that. But yeah, I just thought that was something, you know, worth highlighting that you said as far as um, you really do have to know the whole piece, uh, the whole system, right? And everything. And also be really good at troubleshooting, right? Like, and, you know, somebody comes to you from another department and says, hey, this is happening. Did I, okay, well, this or this or that or that. Was it before this or was it after this? Was it this or that? Like, uh, so you can't just know it, right? You have to understand it and then be able to point to it and and know the cause and effect all the way through. Yeah, I mean, and like when like a different team comes to you, right? Like, especially if you're if your payment flow or your flow in general of how transactions happen is complex. Like if you have internal like machine learning and rules, and then you also have vendors, and then you also have like, you know, chargeback vendors and all these other things like you need to understand, like, is this like an internal issue? Or is this like a, a vendor issue? Is something going wrong? Like, is this a, a bigger tweak that doesn't even fall under risk? Right? Like, right. you have to kind of understand, what like, need to talk to about it. Like, yeah. And that's what I think what you also mentioned, which I forgot to mention was the fraudology, the survey, Report. I think is yeah. huge the report I think is huge like because that's when senior leadership always asks so what is what is industry standards we do and this is a great and I love looking at that report and I'm like "Mm, this is where it's at right like this is industry standards so I really appreciate that you put that together for us but I think that's also another thing I would also recommend is kind of having those numbers and you don't have to put that in the presentation but just have it kind of in your back pocket that like if they do ask like it's kind of like you're able to just kind of spit out those numbers and be like oh this is what it is depending on you know what type of company if it's e-commerce or ticket or whatever being it is they're like size right yeah I think that's super important like because again they're on the executive team they're not just thinking hey this is they know they're like this is not just our our problem like this must be like you know industry-wide so what are they seeing what are their numbers so also bringing that in and yeah I, I think the phrenology report is is amazing to use Thank you, my friend. That is something that was truly a labor of love. Ended up working so much more uh, and longer on it than, you know, we first anticipated when, you know, figuring all those things out, but couldn't have done it obviously without Forder sponsoring it uh, because through, you know, surveys with, you know, statisticians and all of that are not cheap. Um, And I've been around long enough and I've been able to work, you know, behind the scenes on surveys throughout the years to know what is broken and just how big of a disconnect there's been between the questions that I get asked on a regular basis or that uh, merchants ask each other all the time. And the fact that, you know, the entities that are often putting together benchmarking reports, whether it is a vendor or a, you know, a consultancy that provides reports and all that, like oftentimes they're disconnected from the end user and don't actually know what they need and how they need it. And so um, it was important to me, I mean, as I think about ways that we can kind of move the industry forward, you know, individual companies, as well as as the industry, I think that was a huge part. And I'm, I mean, there's some things that, you know, I will, will absolutely do differently. Uh, questions we'll ask differently and and things like that. You know, we yeah, live and you learn, but I've been really encouraged how many people have just said like, oh my gosh, I can actually answer this question now. Um, I use it for my presentations, right? I show my clients where they are in the percentile for companies of their size, right? Like on chargebacks or on approval rates. And you're absolutely right. Every executive I know asks that question. And I can often answer it anecdotally because I usually know their competitors. But to have the numbers and to say, hey, you guys are at this and most everyone is over here at that. And so you need to know that this that's possible and very, very doable. I will help you know how to get there based on, you know, what's helped other people. So another companies. And I think that will also help you get to like your action items, right? So like that will yes. help 
they will be like, all right, Best we'll come practices. up with a plan of like, uh, of how to get to that point, right? Like, what do you need from us? Give us the final numbers of integration. Do we need another vendor? Right. Do we need more data scientists? Do we need more engineers? Like, what do you need? Mm-hmm. And that is kind of like your, like your way in of, of getting that, right? If you're able to even, it's hard to get them to that point to entertain, to give you that like, all right, let's see how much it's going to cost. But as soon as you get to that point, that's where like the negotiations will start between you and them. Be like, give and take. Like, this is where we'll give and take. And I think that's huge, right? So it's like just getting to that point, I think is huge. And by having these numbers ready for them. And again, whatever 15, 30, 60 minute conversation you're going to have with them and showing mm-hmm. them that you actually took the time to have all this information, both internally yes. and externally is, is going to help you kind of get to that point. Um, if you're even more aggressive and you're like, I already know how many engineers it's going to take. And there's four vendors that we want to look into and hear what it is. Great. Like they're going to be like, all right, go talk to them. Right. But right. have all this information like ready um because like I like as I've kind of like grown in my career I've noticed that too where it's I'm like I don't have all the time that I like used to have and now I'm like tell me what you need from me right like how could I help and I will help endorse it or I will help push it along like tell me what you need to like from people on your team, right? Because you manage a really big team and you would love to be able, I'm sure, because knowing you would love to be able to sit down with all of them for, you know, a couple hours and hear about everything. But it's like, hey, I only have time for headlines, right? So like, tell me your problems, tell me, you know, how I can help you and what you need. And then I'll, you know, in between all the meetings, because I feel like, you know, the higher up you get in your career and the more in charge you get, the more meetings you're added to, you know, you can then support them. So it's a good point, right? And I think also as you do it, you'll know, you know, the questions that specific executives will ask and, you know, you'll know, okay, this guy thinks it's a curveball, but I'm going to already come in with the answers. Um, And sometimes that's harder for me as a consultant, because just as I start to understand, like, you know, the, uh, the style, but then I'll ask people, you know, the people that report to them, like, hey, what's most important to them? And so if you haven't, you know, done that and talked to the people that you're going to, talk to people who have, right? Like, what are they going to care about? Are they going to care about the numbers? Or are they going to care about the cost? Are they going to care about, you know, the the number of headcount? Or are they going to care more about, you know, the number of engineers and technology that's going to be needed? Like, knowing that ahead of time, too, can help you know what, you know, what, what answers to have prepared. And the more you can answer things confidently and correctly, then the more confidence you have from them. And that's everything because the more credibility we build, the more you don't have to explain as much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think like the first meeting you have with like your leadership might be a little bit more difficult because like you're a new person to them and you face. But as you start having more of those conversations, like they're going to start trusting you, right? Like it's what you mentioned before. It's like they're like, oh, for the past five, six times, like it's been true. Like this is what's been happening. So all right, Mm -hmm. let's entertain it. Let's go from there. So yeah, I think the credibility amongst multiple things and credibility goes across like everyone's like in in different parts of everyone's life, right? Like it's not just work. But I think that's a huge part, especially as you kind of grow in your career. And as you start talking to senior leadership and executives is building that rapport with them that you do your homework um, before you kind of just like, you know, start ringing the bell, right? Like you every single time Mm. something happens, you can't just say like, oh, fire, fire, fire when there was nothing there, right? Like, right, right. You have to explain the size of the fire and the and the cause of the fire and where the fire is headed. And then they will be like, well, how many fire trucks do you need? You know, do you need aerial support? Like, you know, do we need to bring in people from other regions? Like, you know, it's, but you have to first like measure it and talk. And sometimes it's hard when you're feeling like you're in constant fire fighting mode and react all the time. It's hard to like stop and be like, oh, I have to measure the fire and I have to figure out where it came from. But like, that's how you're going to get to fix it right? That's how this won't be a fire anymore. You'll put it out or at least make it so it doesn't grow anymore. And that's our job, right? Like, I mean, there's, I think there's a reason why fraud fighter and firefighter are so similar, right? It's very similar. We have to, you know, it's better to prevent it, but when it happens, you know, we have to know how to fix it. I love our conversations. And like I said, I mean, I don't even know why I came up, you know, not came up with, but I pulled like a few questions from different listeners. I will um, you know, try to address them later or I, you know, there's just some people that I'm like, I would like to get on the podcast every week, but then I know you have a regular job and I don't want to keep hijacking your weekends like I have. So uh, over the last few weeks, but 
uh, I'm really glad that this is the direction that the conversation went. I think it's, it's a really good skill to have and not one that is inherent to a lot of us. I think, you know, we want to say the sky is falling every five seconds, right? Or like we want to say everything's a big deal because it is, but we also often get pegged as chicken little if we don't do it the right way. We don't, you know, put together the data and the story and show, hey, this is, you know, this is where we're at. This is where we were. This is where we're headed. This is what we can do to stop it. This is what I need from you. So I'm so, so glad that you shared that today. And I am just, as always, grateful and thankful that you are one of the one of the fraud fighters that I get to call friend and, you know, get to use as a lifeline and that, you know, I'm really glad that sometimes I can be helpful to you guys too, because I never want it to go one way. <laughs> oh no, you're, you are more than helpful. You know, we all ring you up whenever we see something crazy going on our side, or if we just need a vent, uh, you know, <laughs> you're, you're always there for us. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not a one way street. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's, that's all I could ever ask for, right? Because like, you know, none of us want to be the person when someone looks at the phone like, oh gosh, what do they want now? Um, <laughs> right. But I learned so much from you and I learned so much from so many other merchants that I just love being able to uh, share a little bit of that with the, you know, the audience, right? And for them to get to know you guys, especially for those of you that don't get to attend or speak at conferences very often because of, you know, tight company budgets and, and other policies and stuff like that. Like it's, important. Everybody has something to share and you have a lot of some things. So uh, I am excited to see, you know, where your career continues to grow and head as you are, you know, now heading up uh, all risk and payments at, at Wish. Uh, and I hope that you will come back soon. So thank you so much. No, thanks for having me. I absolutely loved it. And I love our conversations. Me too. Both on and off the air. Of course. <laughs> Thank you again to Spec for sponsoring today's episode. I'm really excited for more online companies to see what's possible with their fraud infrastructure. Spec's Trust Cloud is way more than just another fraud product. And I hope you'll visit www.specprotected, that's S-P-E-C-P-R-O-T-E-C-T-E-D.com to learn why.